0: Show is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy. Welcome to 2024. What you do this month will set you up for the entire year ahead. Match with a licensed therapist who can help you make this year all that you want it to be. Visit BetterHelp.com/super to get started. What if James had kept the invisibility cloak? Part four. Hey, brother! For the past few weeks, we've been trying to answer this question, and it's been wild how different things might have been if not for this one tiny change. If you are not up to date, this video will make the most sense if you've seen the first few parts, but either way, let's do a little recap just so we're all on the same page. The key difference in James having the cloak is that it allowed Harry to be hidden on the night that Voldemort attacked. Both of Harry's parents were still killed and the sacrificial love was still cast, but Voldemort can never locate Harry inside of the house. This, we reasoned, is because the cloak works differently for its true owner. In King's Cross, Dumbledore alludes to it having some kind of extra power in this way. But the cloak I took out of vain curiosity, and so it never could have worked for me as it works for its true owner. So basically, in the same way that Death could never locate Ignotus Peveril, it's not a matter of the cloak making you invisible, but making you truly unfindable. This forces Voldemort to wait 10 years until Harry is vulnerable again at Hogwarts, where he attacks right away, but still from afar, using the Diary. Where Harry of course overcomes the Basilisk and saves the day. Yay! So now Voldemort is forced to wait another 3 years until the Quidditch World Cup to attack Harry in the open again, where he succeeds in Avada Kedavraing him, but the sacrificial protection saves Harry and blasts Voldemort to a mist, but still ends up. Up making Harry into a physical Horcrux. Voldemort isn't defeated for long though as he takes advantage of the second task in that year's Triwizard tournament to abduct Harry who is the thing Fleur will miss the most, where he was then able to return via the Philosopher's Stone that he was able to steal from Gringotts, mixed with Harry's blood, but is fended off this time by Priori Incantatum and the Twin Cores. With the knowledge of the Twin Cores intact, he is now a year later focused on stealing the prophecy while Dumbledore is determined to protect it. But the Minister of Magic, Barty Crouch Sr., also wants to know what the prophecy says as a means of defeating Voldemort. And as such, Harry is eventually lured there and takes it where he is immediately attacked by Death Eaters who Voldemort was able to send because he could sense Harry was there via their connection through the Horcrux inside of Harry. Dumbledore arrives and fends off Voldemort for a while, but Harry eventually steps in and blasts golden fire at Voldemort, forcing him to retreat. Isn't it amazing how like all the same things happen, just differently? (laughs) Oh, also, Voldemort got terrible burns. Too bad for him! Before all that, however, though, Harry and Dumbledore retrieved the locket from the cave, which weakened Dumbledore, who was already suffering from the Ring Horcrux curse, and the duel with Voldemort weakened him to the point of death. Now Harry has the false locket but must still hunt down the diadem, cup, and resolve the horcrux within himself, although important to note that Nagini is not around at all in this scenario. So how will it all end? Well today we get one step And guys, before we dive on in, we need to take a brief pause right here to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor, MeUndies. Get it a brief pause? We're talking about underwear. <laughs> Y'all, get it, you we're deep into the month of February, and there is never a greater time to contemplate your under game. And I get it. This can be a personal topic, but personally for me, I like to be as comfortable as humanly possible, and I can do that thanks to MeUndies. And that's because MeUndies' signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. Now, I've personally been a subscriber to MeUndies for years, and I've got the drawer and comfort level to prove it, but this year I had the all-too-clever idea to set my wife Alice up with her own subscription. What she doesn't know, though, is that since I'm the one who manages the accounts, I can ensure that we're being set up with matching pairs every single month. It's going to be glorious! But I swear to goodness, if any one of you lets her know about my master plan, it'll be totally fine. She's a great sport about this kind of thing. Guys, this Valentine's Day, we're just the month of February, in general, good things come in big packages at MeUndies. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com super. That's MeUndies.com super for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Okay, heading into year six at Hogwarts, Harry has some advantages he doesn't usually have. Like, for one, there are less horcruxes, and although he doesn't know it yet, he has pretty easy access to the true locket, so that hunt shouldn't actually end up being all that hard. As for the cup and the diadem, he has very little to go on at all, though unbeknownst to either Harry or Dumbledore, they were quite close to the diadem during their lessons in the Room of Requirement. Meanwhile, in the greater Wizarding World, the last year has shown a ministry that, while a thorn in Harry's side, they were at least very anti-Voldemort, with the very strong Barty Crouch Sr. at the helm. This year though, Barty Crouch and Dumbledore are both dead, and therefore there is a bit of a power vacuum in the Wizarding World and at Hogwarts, which Voldemort is keen to pounce on. The circumstance is most going to resemble what we see during Harry's seventh year, where the Ministry falls during Bill and Fleur's wedding, where the death of then-Rufus Grimdrauer as Minister leads to Pious Thickness being turned into an imperious puppet in his stead. And, of course, one Severus Snave being named Hogwarts Headmaster, with key Death Eaters, the Carros, being installed as additional teachers. This go-round, I think we will see a combination of those particular outcomes, but it'll still go a little bit differently. But before any of that can happen, we have to start where we always do, at the Dursleys, and as ever, this is vitally important to maintaining the bond of blood charm, but also, as ever, it's not essential for Harry to spend the entire summer there. Given the lack of known trustworthy leadership at the Ministry and Voldemort's surge for power, there is growing concern about not only Harry's safety at the Dursley, but the safety of the Dursleys themselves. Meaning, finally, we get a proper introduction to, one, the Order of the Phoenix, who thus far have played a quieter role compared to what we've seen in the past, and two, Sirius Black, who had not been to Azkaban, but has mostly existed in a state of solitude at number 12 in the wake of losing his friends. The night of the Potter's death, he would have, of course, realized that Peter had betrayed him and tried to hunt him down. The main difference being that he can't find him because this time Voldemort doesn't fall, so he is still able to protect Peter. Thus, Sirius is not framed for murder, but also never takes over as Harry's godfather, because the protection available at the Dursleys is so much more ironclad, and without Voldemort actually falling, the protection is of much more vital importance, even if Voldemort is pretending to disappear for those 10 years. So Sirius has lost all of his friends, who he holds the most dear, is blaming himself for suggesting Peter be the secret keeper, and can't even properly contribute to Harry's protection. He has been very depressed for a long time. He is, however, given brand new life and purpose when the day comes to collect Harry from the Dursleys and provide him safe haven in his own home. But what's absolutely wild is that this go-round, this is the first time Harry is ever meeting or even learning of Sirius's existence at all. And right away, Sirius explains that he was bestowed the honor of Godfather over Harry by Lily and James, however, because the bond of blood provided such a powerful protection over Harry while he was at the Dursleys, it was agreed that his identity would be kept hidden from Harry, lest he seek out Sirius for his guardianship, which, face it, He totally would have. I could never have imagined how they would treat you. If I'd known, I never would have agreed. But after the role I played in your parents' death, I didn't consider myself fit or worthy of raising James's son. Such terrible, but also such serious logic. He would go on to tell Harry, I know you've been working directly with Dumbledore, and I understand completely, and if you cannot share the details of those meetings. He would, however, be available to help in any way that Harry required. This scene in my head, personally, is a bit of a contrast to Remus's offer to help Harry in Deathly Hallows, where Harry usually gets very upset at the prospect of Remus leaving his family to, you know, chase adventure. But this time, hearing Sirius's story, the clear signs of his self-imposed imprisonment, and Harry's own intuition that there was nothing that mattered more to Sirius than to provide Harry with any aid that he was capable of, Harry decides that he can trust Sirius with at least some information. So he doesn't tell him about the horcruxes in full, or even the locket itself, but having by this point discovered the note inside the fake locket, asks him if he knows anyone with the initials R.A. And to Harry's utter shock, this request gets a loud barking laugh out of Sirius who says of course he does. RAB were the initials of his own brother Regulus who had become a Death Eater before being killed trying to desert Voldemort. And all of that information immediately fits the rest of the note and Harry realizes that one of the Horcruxes he'd been looking for might somehow be inside the very house he's now staying in. So Sirius shows him Regulus' room, and Harry immediately begins to search every nook and cranny of it, and in almost no time at all, recovers the true locket. And I know, I know, that sounds super convenient, but that's as easy as it would have been if Grimauld Place hadn't needed such a ridiculous cleaning. But this time it of course wouldn't, because Sirius just would have been there the whole time. They even handle it in the main story and just pass it by. There was a musical box that emitted a faintly sinister tinkling tune when wound, and they all found themselves becoming curiously weak and sleepy until Ginny had the sense to slam the lid shut, also a heavy locket that none of them could open, a number of ancient seals, and in, in a dusty box, an Order of Merlin first class that had been awarded to Sirius's grandfather for services to the Ministry. And speaking of convenience, Snape didn't kill Dumbledore's time, meaning Harry probably still doesn't like him very much, but doesn't have an overwhelming 100% reason to believe he's working for Voldemort. And because normally Dumbledore like knows that all of this is going to happen ahead of time, so he has to like figure out a way to plan around it, he doesn't have to do that this time. He can just trust Snape to deliver a certain object to Harry after his death, the Sword of Gryffindor. So shortly after Harry's arrival at Grimald Place, Snape appears at the door. Potter, Snape drawled. The Headmaster wished you to have this after his death. What does he want me to have it for? Harry asked. He seemed to think you would know what to do with it, and requested come see me after you have completed your assignment. Wait, why? What do you need to tell me? Why can't you do it now? Good day, Potter, Snape replied unhelpfully as his cloak swished and turned to leave. But just because Dumbledore doesn't have to rely on the will to get Harry the sword, he does still leave Harry, Ron, and Hermione the usual objects, the snitch, the tales of Beetle the Bard, and the deluminator from the will, which are swiftly delivered as well by the new minister, Rufus Scrimgeour. And despite Harry's initial confusion over the sword, he, Ron, and Hermione pretty swiftly figure out that he's supposed to use it to destroy the Horcrux, which they successfully do to the locket almost immediately. Boom! One down, and they didn't even have to poorly plan how to break into the ministry, which incidentally is like my least favorite section of any of the books at all. We're gonna use Polyjuice Potion three times in the final installment of the series. Like, we could probably 86 one of those, right? We have a problem. Polyjuice! It's not clever if you do it too often. Unfortunately though, that is usually their only lead, so what comes up next? Unfortunately though, that is usually their only lead, so the big question is like, what now? Well, back over in Voldemort's camp, Voldemort is recovering from his latest encounter with Harry, which if you'll recall, involved him getting burned pretty badly from Harry's super awesome golden fire. Sick burn, Potter. Seriously, this hurts really, really bad. No nose. So, as it turns out, Harry has left Voldemort with a scar himself that usual magic doesn't seem to be healing, and as a result, Voldemort is in constant and terrible pain, which, as you can imagine, he hates. Fortunately, though, he thinks he has a solution deep within the vault of Gringotts, where he is storing one of his most valuable treasures, the Philosopher's Stone, the very object that gave him back his body, and which he thinks can cure him of this pain. The problem, if you're Voldemort, is that this pain is so severe it starts creating the unintentional pathway between Harry and himself, meaning if you're Harry, you're constantly feeling those chest scars prickling. Because as a reminder, the scars are on his chest this time, much more macho. This otherwise fairly new connection becomes even more dangerous for Voldemort, who travels to the Lestrange Vault, hoping the stone will cure his burns. Physically, maybe they can, but emotionally? He's doomed. So, sure enough, upon contact, the Stone's properties spring to life, providing Voldemort with such relief and elation that the connection becomes wide open, and Harry is able to take in Voldemort's surroundings. He can glimpse inside of the Lestrange vault, and to his absolute astonishment, he sees the cup. Now, of course, the issue is how in the how are they going to break into Gringotts and actually steal the cup? Well, as it were, they actually have one more advantage than usual in this particular regard. Normally, they have access to Bellatrix's hair from Malfoy Manor, which gets them into the bank and behind the door, but also, like, hardly because it still ultimately requires the use of an unforgivable curse, so... But this time, they are living in the home of the otherwise never-before-arrested heir of one of the most pure-blooded families in all of wizard-kind. Sirius Black. So yeah buddy, Harry's able to disguise himself as Sirius this go around for their entry into the bank, and in an effort to really secure the disguise, or if there's any pushback from the goblins, even takes Sirius's wand. And you might think like, why doesn't Sirius just go with them? And it's a good question, but the answer is that Harry is still keeping all the Horcrux information close to the scarred chest, except for Ron and Hermione, who he usually always trusts anyway. I said usually there as if he doesn't always trust them anyway. He always trusts them. Fact. Fact. Sirius doesn't love the idea, but of course does love a little rule breaking and adventure. It's done beautifully. And agrees to let them use his hair, and so the planning commences, along with a lot of Ron turning the lights on and off and Hermione reading her new fairy tale book. Classic! Maybe Creature even whips them up some delicious salmon since it never occurred to them to eat fish in the normal story, you know, like Asio Salmon. Went real heavy on the L pronunciation. Salmon. Salmon. <laughs> Solomon. <laughs> Slightly different story all of a sudden. Was looking for a fish, accidentally summoned the white wizard. So... That's Saruman. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Maybe he's useful. I think he's a pretty bad dude. Yeah, no, he is, he yeah. is, yeah. He's probably on Voldemort's side. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, now that his burns have been healed, Voldemort sets off on his next mission of procuring a more powerful wand that can overcome Harry's annoying phoenix feather one the Elder Wand. And as it turns out, his hunt is significantly easier this time though, because as usual, he tracks down Gregorovitch pretty quickly and obtains the memory of the golden haired thief. Normally he gets stuck here for quite some time, but this time the article about Dumbledore and Grindelwald has already been written and was a front page story rather than buried in some like lame biography by some author nobody knows about. And if I know one thing about Voldemort, that guy never misses the evening prophet. He does it for the puzzles. Wormtail! I'm doing the world! What's a five-letter word that starts with S and ends with K-E? So, when Voldemort sees the golden-haired boy, though, he knows exactly who it is and where he needs to go to question him. Back at base, though, Harry, Ron, and Hermione finish their plans to rob Gringotts, and it's as elegant as it usually is. Polyjuice up, fly by the seat of your pants, and fly by the seat of those pants. Hermione! What if any of our plans ever actually worked? Disguised as serious, Harry arrives at Gringotts with his trusty companion, who I like to call definitely not Ron Weasley, what are you talking about, bro? And Hermione under the invisibility cloak. Harry presents his wand to the goblins and asks to visit his vault. All is going according to plan when suddenly Harry is struck by a vision. Voldemort is questioning Grindelwald, asking him for information about his wand. Harry snaps back to reality with suspicious eyes all around him. Your wand, Mr. Black, says an impatient voice. Harry fumbles for it and extends Sirius's wand to the goblin, who is able to verify it as authentic. Mm-hmm. Wow, like a, like a PSA 10, even. This is the it has been used in 10 years. <laughs> they move forward and start the breakneck journey to the deepest vaults below. Harry clings to the cart when another vision flashes before him. That wand will never be yours. There is still so much you don't understand. Grindelwald laughs, and then there is a flash of green light. What is it? Definitely not, Ron Weasley asks. He's looking for a wand, a more powerful wand. And then whoosh, a torrent of water pours over the cart and suddenly Harry's potion is washed away. Not Ron fades back into, whoa, no way, it was actually Ron the whole time? I'll be the first to say it. They had me fooled. They're also all thrown out of the cart and hurdle to the cavern floor, where Hermione saves them with a cushioning charm and quickly imperiuses their driver to take them to the Lestrange vault. Ultimately, this will actually buy them a little bit of time because the goblins think they're going to the Black vault, but. As per always, they make it inside of the Lestrange Vault, where they very quickly learn that Gringotts vaults are also protected from within. The Gemino and Flagrante spells are ignited, and the crew is being buried in burning hot treasure. Brief aside, what a way to go though, right? Buried in treasure? Not so bad. Good news, Harry has already had a look around the vault, and knows roughly where the cup is, and is able to loop it onto the Sword of Gryffindor. Given their head start on locating the treasure, they're actually able to exit the vault before things start to get too hot and heavy in there. Like, because of the flaming treasure, you guys, get your heads out of the gutter! Anyway, obviously, Harry is now shirtless, Scar's on full display, that water was cold, y'all. Look it up, it's canon! No, I'm actually still kidding, but he realizes he needs to tie up one more loose end, the Philosopher's Stone, so quickly he tosses the cup to Ron, and turns back to the vault with sword in hand. The vault is still filling with molten treasure, but near the back he can just spy the bright red stone that brought Voldemort back. A quickly narrowing path looks navigable enough if he acts fast. Without any hesitation he makes a run for it, carefully to avoid as much treasure as possible. Then, knowing he only has one shot, brings the sword down hard on the stone, and it shatters. Triumph fills Harry, and he stares in amazement as the Sword of Gryffindor transforms from a bright silver to a lustrous gold. This moment of pause is costly, though, as he moves for the exit, but suddenly a large plate lands on his shoulder, scalding him. He runs for the exit, but the once narrow path is gone, and treasure is raining down from above. Throwing caution to the wind, he sprints through the now knee-high molten treasure floor, but it's no good. The heat is too intense. He looks for something large on the surface, That he could make a good foothold and spots another plate. Focusing hard on the plate, he makes a leap, but his foot slips on a coin underneath and he falls, the newly gold sword flying from his hand. Wingardium Leviosa! Harry hears Ron shout, and suddenly he finds himself floating towards the door. Harry desperately reaches for the sword, but has completely lost track of it, and suddenly finds himself outside the vault, collapsing on top of his friends. And y'all know what happens next: Gringotts guards, dragon, escape, yada yada, very routine. It's no fun when things go exactly as they always did. You know we gotta like change stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, though, back at the ranch or something, Voldemort has arrived on the grounds of Hogwarts. He knows just what he needs and right where it is. The White Tomb is open, and the Elder Wand is taken. A moment of victory courses through him when all of a sudden he feels the dark mark burn. Gringotts, the boy has been there, it has been taken, he knows. Fear floods through his body as his mind races through the rest of his horcruxes, the ring, the locket, the diadem. He must check them all, double the security around them. Harry sees all of this unfold in Voldemort's mind as well, and coasts to the sky on the back of the dragon. He knows what the final horcrux is, and that they need to head to Hogwarts. Voldemort's first order of business is to visit the vault and confirm the loss of the cup and the security of the stone. As Voldemort arrives, the Fagrente and Gemino curses have worn off, and the remaining treasure are easy enough to sift through. The remnants of the stone are easily spotted, as is their uselessness. No matter, he thinks to himself, it was only ever a feeble tool of immortality, a mere trinket. Rage, however, breaks over him as he confirms the cup has been lost, and the goblins around him cower as he explodes in anger. But what is this? Voldemort thinks to himself as he spots the gleaming golden hilt protruding from a pile of coins. He pulls the sword and examines the rubies, sparkling in the candlelight. It is not as history describes, but there can be no mistake. Yes, now we see how fate favors Lord Voldemort. His eyes scan the name etched into the goblin-forged blade. At that moment, Bellatrix arrives at her own vault and screeches to a halt, my lord! Her voice trembles. Your failures have cost me something dear today. It is only fair that you should pay an equal price. Fear floods Bellatrix's eyes as she realizes the full impact of his words, and there is nothing for it. Voldemort turns, and in an instant, Bellatrix collapses on the floor, dead. So, with the Elder Wand in one hand, sword in the other, Voldemort enters an almost trance-like state, performing complex maneuvers. A small silvery mist exits its body and is absorbed into the sword. The glittering red rubies flicker once before suddenly erupting into a violent shade of green, and a new horcrux is born. Guys, as ever, thank you so much for tuning in this far and sticking around with us through this multi-part series. We're having so much fun writing it. We're hoping next week will be the grand finale and finally give us some closure to what if James had kept the invisibility cloak. If you have any thoughts or comments on the story so far, be sure to let us know in the towel section down below. Otherwise, if you just want like as much Harry Potter content from us as you can possibly get, be sure to go and check out our brand new podcast Through the Griffin Door where Jay and I are going chapter by chapter and giving all of our insights on all the little specific details that you may have missed in the past. You can check that out right over here, but otherwise, until next time, bye.